I'd like to start with a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians, the 11th verse. It says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Uh, Brother Tim and I both have preached on uh, the devices of Satan over the years. Uh, And as Paul writes here to the church at Corinth, he speaks about being ignorant of the tactics or the devices uh, that Satan has to uh, trap us. You know, the Bible tells us he's like a roaring lion and he's seeking whom he uh, can devour. And that's, you know, that's kind of his main objective there is to uh, is to go to and fro, as the Bible says, to walk to and fro and to try to figure out a way that he can mess your life up. Right now, one way that he certainly messed your life up is when he deceived uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and Adam uh, took that uh, fruit and he ate it and we became mortal, corrupt beings uh, in a sense. And I've heard it said this way, that Satan murdered the entire human race. How did he do that? Because uh, he injected sin into us through the uh, through the fall in the Garden of, uh, of Eden. And so as a result of that, you know, sin reigns in our body. And that's why, Brother Darby, people fall apart that's why our bodies fall apart it's because there is sin in our in our being and in our body and so one of the devices of satan was to utterly destroy our bodies and he did that that's why brother tim has been preaching for several weeks Uh, he's mentioned and preached on redemption that's why redemption is the is so important and should be our main focus because without the redemption there is no deliverance from the corruption and the destruction that satan brought on us through what he did to adam in the garden right So Satan has many devices. He's very slick. He's very subtle. He's very tricky. He's so tricky that he can get you to believe that you are doing something and you are in service to the Lord by what you are doing, but actually be doing things exactly opposite of what the Lord wants you to do. If you think about it in the Bible, I believe it's the book of John. He says, there's going to come a time with Jesus speaking to his apostles. There's going to come a time when men are going to kill you and think that they're doing God a service. You think about that? There's going to come a time when men will take the apostles of the Lord and kill them all the while thinking we just did God a big favor. Now, if you don't think you can be deceived... You need to think about that. That is a great deception right there. And so the devices of Satan are something that we need to think about from time to time is, you know, how is he getting into our minds and our thoughts? You know, I was listening. I heard an old song yesterday that uh, has been around for quite some time. And one of the lines in that song, if I can remember it correctly, was um, the journey from your mind to your hands is not that far. And the point is, the things that we let get in our mind, it's not a very far journey from our mind to put us into action and actually be pursuing some of those things. So if anybody is trying to attack us, if there was an, uh, an enemy out in the world that was trying to invade the United States, we've got military geniuses that sit there and study the tactics and the ways that they could come in where our weaknesses are and how we can uh, strengthen those weaknesses and how we can better defend ourselves. Well, in the spiritual world, it's the same thing, that we need to be uh, aware of how the devil is going to try to get us, and it's usually in the way that you don't think he's going to try to get you. The Bible says, Let he that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You may say, I have no problem in this area over here. Well, that's where you better watch out, right? If you have an area that you know you're weak and you know you struggle, you probably have some defenses up right there. 
But over here, you've got an area you think, I've got that. I don't need to send any uh, support over here to guard this. That's usually where he's going to come get you. That's what any military uh, uh, person that deals with military strategy, that's what they would do, attack them where they're weak. So it's important that we know the devices of Satan. Now, one of the devices of Satan that I wanted to talk about this morning is that, and I mentioned it briefly, is that if Satan can get us to believe certain things about God while ignoring other things about God, he has accomplished a great deal, right? Why? How has he accomplished a great deal? One, because we think, oh, I'm embracing these things about the Lord. I love these things about the Lord. There can't be anything wrong with me embracing and loving these things about the Lord. But where he gets us is if we think that's all there is about the Lord. And I want to give you an example that I want to go through this morning. We believe and we know that the Bible teaches that God is a God of mercy, right? He is a God of long suffering. If you don't think that we serve a merciful God and a long suffering God, like Brother Buddy says, you just need to go read your Bible, right? The Bible tells us that he has not rewarded us according to our transgressions or our iniquities, meaning he does not give us one chastisement per one sin. He is long suffering and merciful. And if he was not merciful, the proof that he's merciful is that we're sitting here. The offenses that we bring against the Lord are so vile in his sight that he ought to destroy us all. Right. But he's merciful and that he doesn't do that. But what happens is, and the way Satan works, is he begins to get us to think, oh, the Lord is so merciful. The Lord is so long-suffering. And that's all we ever see about the Lord. And what happens is when that's all you think of about the Lord, is the Lord turns into some big Santa Claus or some big grandpa that sits there and would never, ever dare chastise anybody because he's nothing but love and mercy and long-suffering. That's what the movements like uh, the transgender movement, the homosexuality movement, a lot of those types of movements, that's what they preach, that God is just a God of love and God of mercy. You see how Satan can get you and deceive you when he gets you to think that that is all the Lord is, because the Bible tells us that we are to behold the goodness and the severity of God. You see, God is absolutely a God of mercy. But God is also a God of justice. God is a God of chastisement. God has a people that he has called to obedience and he has given them a standard to which they are obey or to obey. Right. Behold the goodness and severity of God. So I want to talk to you this morning about maybe a sermon that doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy and make you tingle and all that kind of stuff. But it's important that we understand that how we live our lives On this side of heaven, it matters. The decisions that we make in this life, they matter. Why? Because God is absolutely a God of mercy, but God is also a God of justice and he chastises us. Why? Why does God chastise us? Why do you chastise your children? I have never chastised one of my children or disciplined one of my children to drive them away forever. I have always chastised and disciplined my children so there would be a returning to me and a returning back to the right ways. That's the point of chastisement. 
And that's why God deals out his chastisement and his judgment. You know, what's the difference between chastisement and judgment? Well, maybe that's a sermon for another day. But God is a God of judgment, of chastisement, where he lovingly brings his people back to him through maybe means that are not very pleasant. You know, I have had to spank my children before. Not a pleasant thing, but it brought them back to me and it set them back on the right path. But God is also a God of judgment where he says, here is something that you have done and you are continuing to do it. My long suffering on this side of heaven has come to an end. And sometimes his judgment is simply stepping back and stop. He stops intervening in the lives of his people. Are you with me? And I can prove that time and time again in the Bible. Now, to start with, don't, you don't have to flip over there, but jot this down if you're making notes. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, the Lord is very clear that how we live our lives has an impact on how the Lord responds to our lives. In Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, there's a list of things that the list of ways that the Lord will bless us if we hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments. He says this, And it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee, this day that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Notice this. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. I remember I spoke on that verse years ago when I first started speaking. And the analogy that I used there was there are times that we've gone to the beach and, and you get out in the ocean. And sometimes the ocean's just kind of, you know, it's like Tiffany likes it. Just gentle waves, you know, and there's not a whole lot of ruckus and and the rest of us like them when they're just crashing over you and, you know, they're almost killing you. They're so violent. And you get back up and, and you run and you do, do it again and jump in the waves again and again until you're exhausted. And I thought about this verse one day when I was out there and these giant waves were coming. And one of the games that we play is we say, all right, let's see who can stand here and not let the wave knock them down. And these waves come in and they literally overtake you. They knock you down and crush you and sweep you away. What a pleasant thought to think that the blessings of the Lord will do the same thing. They will literally overtake you. And sometimes I just step back and try to gather my thoughts and I look at what the Lord is doing here and you feel overtaken by blessings, right? This is a blessed place. And if you travel around like I've done in the past to all these other primitive Baptist churches, they're not like this. The majority of them are not like this one. So we've been overtaken with blessings, right? But there's a flip side to that coin. He says in verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And then he gives a list of ways, that uh, list of things that we will struggle with, and as, as the Bible word there is the ways, uh, the curses that we will take. And when you read through those, my thought when I read the list of the blessings and when I read the, read the list of the curses, my thought on that, if I just use that as a guide to say, does the Lord bless America? We, when you read those two lists, the Lord is still overwhelmingly blessing us. 
right? Like we have way more, way more tick marks in the blessing column than we do the curse column. But there are some things in the curse column that really make you scratch your head and think, where, what does the future hold? Is, is this, is, are the scales tipping? Because they did for Israel, for, 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 for certain. Some of the things that I read in the list of the ways that we will know if we have not been obedient and the Lord is, is not blessing us. And I thought this one was interesting, uh, was that there will be sicknesses that are not curable. And you say, well, he, he's talking about COVID. I'm not just talking about COVID. We've got lots of sicknesses that are, that are not curable, right? We have people, people dying from cancers that cannot be cured. And, uh, and, 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 but, but, you know, we'll, we'll throw, uh, you know, you can throw COVID in there. You say, well, Lucas, uh, are you saying that COVID is God's does? I'm not saying any of that. If you heard that, you heard wrong. I'm simply saying we can look at something like COVID, right? Where for the past two years, we have scrambled to try to find a way to eliminate it. And we can't. And what's the conclusion here? We can knock it down, but we can't eliminate it. And we're probably going to have to live with it the rest of our lives. That's just a fraction of what it could be like if the Lord removed his blessing from us. That there will be there are things that could come upon us that would not be fixable. And we would beg for the days of COVID we wouldn't, and gladly trade them. So sometimes I wonder, like, oh, there's a lot of sickness in America that we just can't fix. And I wonder sometimes when I think back to Deuteronomy 28, the 28th chapter, there's also one of the curses is that there will be a, and I'm paraphrasing here, there's a, there will be a lack of sound minds. I'm not talking smart people. I'm just talking a lack of sound, sane minds. Have you talked to the public lately? I mean... There are times that I talk to the public and I think, how many crazy people are out there? You know, like this is a lot of crazy people. Like I can't even begin to comprehend your line of thinking, you know, and it's got to the point where when you run into somebody who talks a, a pretty sane, sound talk, you think, wow, you're, you know, I found a diamond in the rough here. When I listen to politicians talk, I think that is not a sound mind that we're listening to. That is a, decept, a deceived, corrupt mind that would even make, try to make these points. He also talks about that our normal activities, our day-to-day activities uh, will be, uh, you know, upended. And, you know, you know a, a silly kind of example of that is look at the last two years, all right? Because of what is the sicknesses that have come upon in the last two years, our normal church is somewhat been upended, right? We've probably got 20, 30 people in the parking lot right now because of a sickness. That's not normal. What do you do when you get up and go out now? A lot of times when you get up and go out, you've got to put a mask on if you want to go in somewhere. That's not how we've always done things. That's not a normal way to do things. But it's just a fraction of what it could be like if the Lord takes his blessing away from us. He also says that our children will be taken captive. And I, thought, I think this one disturbed me more than all the other ones. Don't picture in your mind, um, you know, a, a foreign nation coming in and actually taking our children. But I would say our children, uh, or I, not, not our children, but I would say a lot of children in America are taken captive. They're taken captive by things like this. 
Let me tell you what, and I hope if you do this, I hope you're convicted about it and you change. I cannot stand to walk into a restaurant and see a family sitting there and kids with earbuds in their ears. It infuriates me. Take those out and talk to your family. But they're held captive by it. They're imprisoned by it. They're imprisoned by social media. They're imprisoned by all these things that they just can't seem to break the bonds of. And it's so much so, if you take away some of the electronic devices they have, they scream and throw fits. They can't break the bonds. Our children are captive, and they're not captivated by the church. They're not uh, made captive by a love for their family and a love for their parents. They've been taken captive by all the things in the entertainment industry. And it grieves me to see that. When I see some of that and I see those earbuds in the, at, the, at the restaurant, you got a mom and a dad and two kids sitting there and the kids have earbuds in and they're looking on the phone. They never even look up. I want to say your kids have been taken captive. They've been taken from you probably by something that you bought for them. The list goes on and on of the ways that the Lord will curse us. And I just wonder sometimes, do we see some of those things in America? Are the scales tipping? Are we going to go from a very blessed country to a country who is no longer receiving those blessings, but finding themselves under the judgment and chastisement of God? My personal feeling on this, and I'm not a prophet But my personal feeling is our scales are tipping. And why do I think that? Because they've been tipping since Adam and Eve in the garden. We go through cycles where we repent uh, and and the Lord blesses and then we get prosperous and then we uh, fall away from the Lord. As the Bible says, Israel waxed fat, became fat and forgot God. And we're a very prosperous nation. And the end result of a prosperous nation is and always has been until time is no more. We will it will lead to our own destruction. And you sometimes, I, you know, I think as I pray like, Lord, what will turn the hearts of the people in America back to you? And time and time again, the thing that comes back to my mind is the furnace of affliction is the only thing sometimes that will turn God's people back to Him. But if that's what it takes for those children who He has known from the foundation of the world to gather back to Him, then that's what He's going to do. You know, Brother Tim talked last week about uh, the, the gathering where uh, at, the, at the end of time in eternity, the Lord is going to bring His people back to Him and things are going to be put back together like the remote control He talked about, if you've forgotten, and it will be right again. But on this side of heaven, the Lord is also, as a shepherd draws His sheep to Him, wants to bring His people back. Now, let's look at a few examples in the Bible of some of the things that I've talked about where the Lord says, no more. I'm stepping back. I'm going to leave you to your own devices. Do you remember it says where it says Ephraim, which Israel has joined to his idols, let him alone. Here's here are my people who have chosen to go the way of the world and attach themselves to idols. I will just step back and let them go to their own devices. Let's look at a few things in the Bible where the Lord said, let me say this, a few things in the Bible that prove 
that God is not just a God of long suffering and mercy, but God is also a God of judgment. We should have a sense of fear and trembling and reverential fear towards God as we walk through this life. You know what? I love my dad. Love him. Couldn't ask for a better dad. But you better believe when Josh and I were young, we always had one eye on him. Because we respected his authority enough to know if we did not do what he said, there would be consequences. Now, he didn't have to whittle the paddle out in front of us, but he did. You know, he didn't have to do that, but he did. He whittled it out in front of us. And, you know, he always did it lovingly and he did it the right way. And I'm thankful that he did. But let me tell you something. In the same way that Josh and I had a reverential fear and respect of our father as the authority we should also have that same feeling towards God. But do we? Or do we just say, oh, God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. If the devil gets you to believe that's all God is, he's got you. Right? Let's look at some examples here. Psalms, the 78th chapter. And it it really doesn't make sense just to pick up in in the middle of this chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm going to. But it speaks about a rebellious Israel. And it speaks about the the Lord being merciful and long-suffering with them. And I'm thankful that He is. And it talks about all that the Lord did for them while they complained and while they fussed and while they mocked at Him. He still continued to provide and do all these things. But notice what it says. I'll start and say verse 37. Verse 36. It says, Nevertheless, they did flatter Him with their mouth and they lied unto Him with their tongues. So here are people, they'll acknowledge God. They'll talk about Him. They'll sing about Him. They'll flatter. For their heart was not right with Him, neither were they steadfast in His covenant. But He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time He turned His anger away and did not stir up all His wrath. Is there any question that He's a God of mercy? He says, For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Now notice verse 41. God is a God of mercy, but God is also a God of justice. And it says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, how in the world... Does a man limit God? They did not limit what God could do. They limited what God would do. You get that? So I take that verse to say this. There was a storehouse full of blessings that the Lord was ready to pour out on them. But because of their stiff necked rebellious ways, he shut that door and he would not bless them in the way that he could have blessed them. Now, is God just only a God of love? Behold the goodness and severity of God. You see, God is never unrighteous in saying, I'm going to withhold my blessings. You know what that made me think of? <clears throat> it made me think of my life and think of what, how many doors has he had to shut because of my sinful, disobedient self? How many storehouses of blessings has he kept from pouring out on me because of the way that I have lived? You see, Isaiah 59 says your transgressions and your iniquities have separated you from God. 
That's talking about in this life. I think about, <clears throat> I think about the movie, um, and I probably mentioned it before here. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. What a what a great movie, but what a uh, what a great principle that it that it has in there. Where uh, the man George Bailey, surely everybody's seen It's a Wonderful Life. If you haven't, come over, we'll watch it. George Bailey uh, is frustrated with his life. Okay, he's uh, he's mad at his job, uh, and in turn, uh, because he's mad at his job, he becomes mad at his wife. He becomes mad at his kids. And he's just mad at the whole world. And it's one of those things. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms kind of thing. Right. And so he goes to a bridge and he is, has made the decision. He's going to jump off the bridge and commit suicide. Well, in a movie type of way, the Lord sends an angel along and the angel jumps in the river. So George Bailey has to jump in and save the angel who looks just like a regular person. And the angel gives George Bailey the opportunity to see what his life or to see what the lives of other people would have been like had he have never been born. He was basically showing George, George, let me show you your worth. Let me show you your value. And if you're never right now, you're here, George, and your your wife is happy and she's, you know, she's thriving. and She's got a house full of children. But George, if you would have never been born. Look at what your wife would have been. She was, a, she was an old maid is what the, what the movie called her. She was an old maid that worked in the library, right? He says, George, look, if, um, if you'd have never been born, your brother, who is now a war hero because he saved a bunch of people, he died when he was a young boy because he fell on the ice and you were the one that saved him. And he says, so because you weren't there to save your brother, your brother wasn't there to save all those other people and they died. And he basically, he says, let me show you what life was like if you hadn't been here. Well, we don't have that privilege, right? But sometimes I wonder, what would my life be like? What would my mindset be like? What level of joy would I have? What wisdom would I have if I simply obeyed God more than I do? I don't want to limit what God will do for me. I can't limit what he can do. But my actions can limit what he will do. And so you know what? When the, when the, when, when the rubber meets the road and it's decision time, maybe when temptation comes along and you've got to think, am I going to go down this road that I know is displeasing to the Lord? Or am I going to go down this road that I know pleases the Lord? What we need to be asking ourselves and is, do I want to limit the Holy One of Israel? Do I want to go down the road that the Lord told me not to go down and run the risk that he may not be long suffering to me in this situation? And he may very well shut the storehouses of his blessings. Or do I want to go down the road that he's told me to go down and hearken, hearken diligently unto him and watch him open the doors of the storehouse where the blessings flow? And listen, we've talked about it before. But it's important to remember that we've talked about in Ecclesiastes that the battle is not always to the strong. The race is not always to the swift. It would be nice to think for the people that never missed church and were diligent in their study that they always killed the biggest deer and they always won the races and they always did all this kind of stuff. It doesn't work that way, right? The Lord blesses in ways that we don't even understand. That's why I said, I, want him, I wonder what my mindset would be 
How much wiser could I be? How much more forgiving? How much clearer could my spiritual eyes be if I didn't limit what God would do by my own disobedience? Now, let's go on to another one in Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew, the 13th chapter. And I'll read, uh, start in verse 53. This is an account where Jesus came back to Nazareth, his hometown. And it says, and it came to pass that when Jesus has, when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man, this wisdom and these mighty works. And then the old flesh kicks in and they say, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. Can you picture that? Like it wasn't enough. All right. So at the beginning of the account, they're listening to him with their mouths open and they're astonished. But it, for some reason or another, it mattered to, the, to them where he came from. It mattered to them that they knew his siblings. That like put a huge roadblock in front of their belief that while they went from being astonished to who they figured out this guy was, they shut down. I've seen that happen. I have, I have talked to people before about the truth of salvation by grace. This is, this, this is not funny, but it's funny. <clears throat> I have talked to people before about salvation by grace. I felt like I did a good job. You know, I felt like I was nice. I laid it out there, you know, and I didn't give them too much. Here a little, there a little, you know. Try to do it exactly like I should do it. Try to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And it was just a lead balloon. Went nowhere. And then they would hear somebody else tell them the exact same thing I told them. And they're like, oh. And you see the light go off. And I'm over there like, I've told you that 30 times. You know, I remember that happened one time. Brother Buddy preached. And he preached something that I had told somebody for a thousand different times. And when Brother Buddy preached it, the light switch went off and they turned cartwheels and praised the Lord for his grace. And I was like, huh? I wasn't the right person to do it. Right? I was, I was the wrong person. I don't even remember who that was, but I remember the account. I was the wrong person to do it because they knew me. And they probably, shamefully, they probably knew me from days gone by, right? They knew me before Bethlehem. They knew me before the, the time. They knew all that. I was like, that's just Luke. That's just Luke. I'm not listening to anything he says. Ooh, Brother Buddy, he's preaching some good stuff. Same thing happened to Jesus. They were offended because they knew kind of where he came from. And, it, and Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country, except in his own country and in his house. And notice this. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. I want you to picture a storehouse of mighty works. Raising the dead, making the lame walk, making the blind see, the deaf hear, healing the sick. All an infinite, endless supply of mighty works that the Lord has in his storehouse. And because of their unbelief, Jesus walks over there and he shuts that door. They limited the Holy One of Israel because of their unbelief. 
Oh, but God is, God is just an old grandpa. He would never withhold his blessings. Have you read the Bible? The Lord was prepared to pour out many mighty works that no doubt would have had a tremendous impact on the community of Nazareth, but he refused to do so because of their disobedience. Now that's something to think about when you're standing in the fork of the road, right? And I can go down the path of obedience or I can go down the path of disobedience Well, the Lord is standing there in his, and he is long-suffering. Please hear me. I've said it ten times already. But the Lord is not just a long-suffering God. He's also a God of judgment and truth and mercy and chastisement. And he stands there with his hand on the door of the storehouses. And is he going to shut them? Or is he going to let us go? Are we going to go down this path? And he's going to open those doors and overtake us. Like that giant wave that we talked about in Deuteronomy 28th chapter. Let me give you one more here. <clears throat> this one really, really kind of got me thinking. I preached to you several weeks ago, maybe months ago. Out of Luke, the 21st chapter, <clears throat> I think it was on the I think it was on the sermon about um, being left behind and um, the, the series of books about being left behind and all that and where some of those ideas came from. And one of the main problems that we talked about then was uh, there are people who are taking sections of the Bible and putting, uh, any, uh, uh, putting them in an eternal sense instead of a timely sense, meaning that we read this verse, oh, he's talking about heaven, when actually he's talking about here. See, uh, we preach at the Primitive Baptist Church. It's the only place I've ever heard it preached about time salvation, meaning that, very simply, the disciples are in a boat, it's sinking, they're about to drown, they call on the name of the Lord, and they say, Lord, save us. Dot, dot, dot from drowning, right? That's a timely salvation. The Red Sea opens up, the Israelites cross it, the Egyptians come through, and the sea closes in and drowns the Egyptians, and the Bible says that the Lord delivered Israel that day. He saved them that day. We believe in a salvation that occurs here and now, right? In Luke, the 21st chapter, sometimes people put this into, um, lost, my, lost my word there. They put it into uh, an eternal perspective. They, they apply it to eternity when really what it's talking about is the judgment that came on Jerusalem in AD 70. And we proved that in that last sermon, so I won't prove it again. But in Luke, the 21st chapter, it talks about the awful, awful things that happened when uh, Jerusalem was overtaken in A.D. 70. And one of the things that it says, it says, for as a snare, what well, says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with sure fitting. What is sure fitting? Sure fitting, the definition is giddiness and a headache from drunkenness. Drunkenness, look, America's drunk. And they're not drunk on whiskey and alcohol. They're drunk on every other thing in the world, too. And it has changed the way they respond and think. And I look, I know y'all get tired of me talking about the news. I know you do. And there's some benefit to the news. But the news has changed how people think. Just like alcohol does. 
It's changed the way they receive information, how they process information and how they act on it. We're drunk on all kind of stuff. And it says, take heed lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with giddiness and a headache from drunkenness and the cares of this life so that that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. And watch this, it says, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Wow, worthy to escape. Now that's not talking about going to heaven because none of us are worthy to escape the wrath of God were it not for the blood of Jesus, right? There's only one that's worthy. Worthy to escape. That tells me that when this awful destruction came upon Jerusalem, that there were some people that escaped. Now, they might have escaped into captivity and been taken care of and fed and and given, you know, a bed and all that kind of stuff. But they were able to escape. But that escape was based on something that the Lord saw them worthy Just like the Bible says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There were some people here that found some grace, right? Worthy to escape. Sin has misery like you can't imagine. Are we worthy to escape the misery that comes from indulging in sin? Are we worthy to escape a judgment from God if those scales do indeed tip one day? The Bible says that he's able to keep his people alive in a time of famine. That means we can be in the midst of horrible circumstances and the Lord will continue to sustain us. Will we be worthy of that if that comes to pass? One of the thoughts that I have sometimes as I, as I look in the mirror and I see my own life and I, I look into my head and I see my own thoughts and, and, and things and, and I, I look around in society and, and you, know, I, you know, I talked about going to the beach and those waves crashing. You know, it is a shame. And I don't mind telling you this. It is a crying shame where bathing suits have been headed. It is awful. I'm talking about young girls walking around with almost nothing on. You turn on the TV and you can't turn on the TV without seeing a commercial that promotes homosexuality or transgender or something along those lines. And it makes me want to cry out as the thief cried out to the other thief on the cross, does thou not fear God? Do you not fear God? Do you not have a reverential respect and fear of Him as the Father and as the authority who can bring down things on us that will just bring us and crush us and take us to our knees. And the only thing we would be able to do is to cry out to him. You see, God will put us in the furnace of affliction if that's what it takes to bring him back, to bring us back to him. But brothers and sisters, I don't want to go to the furnace of affliction. I want to live every day with a fear of God in my heart. And when I stand at the crossroads and I can look at which direction am I going to go? Am I going to go this way and see the Lord close the doors of the storehouses of his mighty works and his blessings? Or am I going to go down this way and watch the Lord be true to his promise? Does thou not, does thou not fear God? 
We act sometimes, <clears throat> we really do, think about this. We act sometimes like we've got an appointment with God somewhere way down the line. And we'll get serious about spiritual things as that appointment draws near. That's how we act a lot of times. That's how I act a lot of times. But brothers and sisters, the Lord said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is there, the, the future appointment that you think is out there and you think, well, when I'm laying sick and the doctor tells me I've got six weeks to live, I'll get serious about the things of God. That's not how it works. Just think, if, they, if you have that attitude, think of the blessings and the mighty works that you and I will have missed out on if that's the attitude we take. The kingdom of God is here and now walk down that path and diligently hearken to the words of the Lord. Because if we don't, I can assure you on the authority of the word of God, we will behold not only the goodness of God, but also the severity. And sometimes that severity becomes so common, we don't even recognize it as a chastisement. And that's where it really, really breaks your heart. You see people in the, in the depths and the miseries of their own sin and they just think it's normal. And you want to say, come up out of there and let the Lord put your feet back on the solid rock and follow this path. Let me, let, let me close with this. <clears throat> Very common verse in Second Chronicles, the 7th chapter. If I can find it. Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter. Our land needs healing, right? Our homes need healing. Marriages need healing. The doors have been shut too long on the people of America because of the way we are. And if we don't stop, I'm afraid we'll see those scales tip. What's the answer? If my people which are called by my name. Do you remember over in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, that's what it said? My people who are called by my name, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, that's a condition right there, if and then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. When I was in college, I had to take a, um, uh, a computer programming course. I don't know why, but I did. It was awful. You computer people, you're, you're awesome. I'm not one of them. But one thing I remember from that computer programming class, Fortran was the name of it. It's probably obsolete now. It was the name of the computer programming. Were if-then statements. You tell that computer, if this is entered, then this is how you respond. Well, this is an if-then statement. It says, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn. That's repentance. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. We need some healing. What's the problem? Is America is standing at the fork. In, they're not in the fork in the road. They're, they were at the fork in the road. And now they've started going down this path. The Lord is still blessing mightily. More blessings than cursings. But if we don't stop going down that path and realize the devil has deceived us to think God will never, ever, ever bring down some sort of chastisement or judgment on his people, we will just continue to go down that road. Because when you take away the consequence, 
There's no end to how far we'll go. That's just, that's just human nature. I wish I could think of the verse that I wish our court systems could realize. <clears throat> and I can't quote it exactly, but it, it basically says this. When judgment is delayed, then basically the wicked just run amok. When judge, that means that we need to have a swift execution of whatever penalties the court systems decide instead of having somebody uh you know be you know have a 20-year a, a trial strung out we, you know when there's no consequence when the when the wicked look and see what's the point of this like i can go out and do all the drugs i want to they catch me i spend a day in jail pay a hundred dollar fine and i'm back out doing it when there's no consequence we will continue in those behaviors and, and we know that the Lord is smart enough <clears throat> and wise enough to say, if I have to, you know, one thing my dad used to always tell me, <clears throat> what, what, what do you always tell your kid right before you spank them? Right? It hurts you, it hurts me more than it hurts you, right? Y'all do that? He did it. And he's like, you and I was like, Psh, whatever, because that hurt. He said, you'll understand one day. And you know, I did. It hurt me to have to chastise and discipline my children, but it was worth it to bring them back to me. The Lord does not delight in chastising and judgment, but if it brings his people back to him, he will do it. I want to go down a path where the Lord freely opens those doors and pours out of those storehouses his blessings. I don't want to limit the Holy One of Israel. I don't want the devil to ever deceive me that God is not capable of doing things that will bring us back to him. Wouldn't it be nice just to stay with him all the time? I hope that's been profitable to you this morning. I appreciate your good attention.